0: This talk is brought to you by iBiology.org, and this audio was taken from a video available on our website. Have you ever wondered what animals can see, like your cat or your dog, or a fish that lives underwater, or a bat that flies in complete darkness, or even an eagle that has to catch a teeny tiny mouse on the floor? Do they see the same thing as you do, or do they have a vision adapted to where they live, what they eat, in other words, their environment? I'm Alexa Sager, a research scientist at UCLA, and this is the kind of question I'm interested in. What animals can see and how their vision evolves in adaptation to where they live, and how can we find the evolution principle by using these results? And you might be surprised if I tell you what I study, because I don't study all the animals in the world to answer this question. I'm studying a group that is diverse enough so we have a lot of different species that live in a lot of different kind of environment and eat a lot of different things. And this group is bats. And you might be surprised because people have so many misconceptions about bats, but they are also indeed really diverse and have everything we're interested in. So first, diversity, just look at them. Some of them are red, some of them have big ears, some of them have a lot of different colors so just by looking at these species I show you here you see how incredibly diverse they are but even that is just a subset it's only 30 species that is a small subset of the 1,326 bat species that we have in the world which is the fifth of mammals. And as I said, we're interested in vision, Is we're interested in what animals can see. And if you look at these bats again, you can see that we have the diversity in terms of vision as well. I mean, in terms of their eye size, some of them, like this fruit guy, have very, very big eyes. So that are very, very big compared to his head. But others have eyes so tiny that we can barely see them. And if you look at the other bats, you can see that we have a lot of different eye types, different colors, et cetera, et cetera. As everywhere in science, every time, we start with an observation. And by looking at these bats, we can see that we have this diversity of eye types. So maybe we have a diversity of vision. And maybe this is because these bats are adapted to their environment. So where do they live? Because if they are adapted to their environment, they might live in different places. And so to do that, let me show you these maps. So you can see that we have bats almost everywhere in the world, except in the polar region when it's white. And this map also tells us something else. The color of the map shows us the number of species of bat you can find. So when it's red and yellowish, it means that you have a lot of bat species here. So if we're interested in, in looking at vision evolution in a lot of different bat species, of course we want to go when we have a lot of bat species, which is in the reddish and yellowish region. Meaning that when I want to study bat, I go to the tropics. And here in yellow, you can see the different field sites that we have. So we go to the Caribbean here in the island and the mainland. We also go to Africa here in Cameroon, a tropical area as well. And we also go to the Philippines. And if you are not convinced that just by going there, we are hitting a lot of different environments, let me bring you into the field so you can see how it looks like. For example, when we go to Belize, we go to these wonderful, magnificent forests that are really dense and bats roost in these forests. But as you can see here, we also have some Mayan temples. So it's really, really exciting. It's kind of Indiana Jones style uh, fieldwork because bats also uh, root sometimes in some of these temples that are not excavated. So we have one area here. When we go to Puerto Rico, we also see some big deep jungle forests and we have different species of bats here compared to Belize, which is the mainland. So we have another type of habitat, which is the island forest here in Puerto Rico. When we go to Puerto Rico, again, in other places, we have some cave habitats. So it's another type of habitat here, a cave, a deep cave, when we find bats as well. And finally, when we go to other places such as Trinidad, we have cave, we have cave underwater, we have forest, but we also have houses in which we have uh, some bats that fly. So just by going into these different places, we have all these different habitats where bats live, and so then we can study how their vision adapt to that. But as I said, something we can consider as well is food to see if bats are also adapted to where they eat because they are foraging; they need to see what they eat very well. And just by going there, catching bats there, we also have the full different range of diet that bats can have. For example, if you look on this picture here, when I catch some bats, I can can understand what they eat. If I catch one bat that has this very, very elongated snout that you see here, and if this bat is also covered with pollen, it's likely to be a plant bat. The other bat you can see here is the vampire bat that eat blood. I caught this one on a chicken on a tree, and as you can see, some of the finger of that bat is covered with blood, and also its face is because it's a vampire bat that eat a lot of blood. Now, you can see as well that we can catch some insect bats that fly at night and and are catching a lot of insects. We can uh, also find some fish bats because some bats are fishing. And so you can see on this picture a bat just arriving and catching a fish in the water. We also have bats that eat animal, omnivorous bats. And we also have bats that eat fruit. This is a teeny tiny fruit bat that I caught in the forest. And sometimes before releasing them, we just give them a little snack. This one is from Belize. Okay, so by looking at these different places, these different bats and the diversity, can we now ask the question we want to ask uh, in this talk? So the first question that we have is what do bats see? Do they see a lot of different things? Do they all see the same? Uh, We don't know, so what do they see? And we have seen that they live in a lot of different places and eat different things. Do do their vision relate to where they live and what they eat? Do we have an adaptation to these different lifestyle and environments? And finally, the other question we can ask is, what can you tell us about the evolution of species in general? Do, okay, can we find big, big, big principles just by studying that vision that will be applicable to a lot of different kinds of things? So before digging into the results, I just want to give you a little primer about how do uh, bats in general and mammals see. So bats see through their eyes, so it's exactly like us. The light just hits the eye and hits the back of the eye. And it's very important to understand that because in the back of the eye, we have the retina, which is the tissue which is sensitive to light. And in this tissue, how do this tissue sense light? It senses light through photoreceptors, the rods and the cones in green and blue here. And these photoreceptors are the cells that are able to sense the light and to relay this light message through a couple of cells and neuron into the brain that will reconstitute the images. As I said, we have two types of photoreceptors. Why, why do we have two types? We have two types because they are sensitive to different types of light. First, we have the roads that are sensitive to very, very dim light. So they allow us to see during the, you know, the, the, at night or in, in, in kind of a darkness with very, very low light. And we have only one type of photoreceptor, one type of road. So that's why we see in black and white. During the day and when the light is like, you know, at dusk and dawn, so low light, we have the cones that are active. And we have three types of cones, and it allows us to see in all the different colors of the visible spectrum. How? So we have some red cones, green cones, and blue cones. And if you don't understand why having three types of cones allows us to see the different colors of the visible spectrum, just think about your computer screen or if you try to modify a picture on your screen, you always play with the red, the green, and the blue channel. And by changing the amount of color that you have, you are able to reconstitute the different. Different color that we see. It's the same uh, as our brain, it's, our brain do that in humans, we have a red cone and blue cone and a green cone and by playing with the different intensity of this cone, we're able to reconstitute the color of the rainbow. And for the rest of the talk and for the bats here, we will focus on the cone. So we won't focus on the, the bat vision in general, but we will focus on color vision in bats. So what do bats see? Do they also have red, green, blue like us? actually not the, the study that have been um done on bat color vision and on cone etc have revealed that bats have uh, seems to have two types of uh, photoreceptors s-cones and l-cones s-cones is responsible for uv light vision so a lot of bats can see uv and l-cones is responsible for greenish uh, light vision so what we think uh these studies have been done on a very small subset of bat species only 10-ish bats, uh, species of bats have shown that maybe the ancestor of all bats have UV and green vision and that maybe some bats have lost some vision. But of course, when you think that we have 1426 species of bats, we don't really know at all how it evolved in a lot of different things. So this is what we try to look here. But in fact, what, what does it mean for the bats to have only two types of cone for color vision? This is a picture how we will see it with three different codes. And this is what bat would see with two uh, different colors. So they would see something that would be kind of close to uh, what colorblind people would see, people that like uh, the red cone in human, So they would see that. So of course, if you think about being a bat and seeing this, you can see that it, it can have some implication in how we, you will discriminate food in the foliage, etc. And if you lose one or the two cones, you will see basically black and white. So a better understanding color vision at this point for a bat, for the point of view of the bat, and also for the point of view of evolution, can you know, help us to understand what's going on. So how will we study the present substance of these cones and the color vision? How we will do that in the lab concretely? So we want to focus on the cone themselves, but we will focus on the pigments that sense light into the cone. If you remember what I said before, uh, the cones are able to sense light and to relay the signal into the brain. And this is done uh, through two types of protein, the opsins, that are the pigments, the protein that sense light inside the cone. We have two of them. The S opsin that is responsible to sense UV light in S cones, you have S opsin, and the L opsin that is responsible to sense green light in L cone, you have green opsin. And we won't only study the presence in this protein in these bats, we will, all, we will study the presence of this obscene at the three levels of gene regulation that we can have. We'll study the presence of the gene, the S-obscene gene, then the L-obscene gene in the genome of a lot of bats. We will see if this gene is expressed by checking of the presence-absence of the RNA of these genes. And we will also check if a protein is produced at the end. So, Do we have an S-obscene and, and an L-obscene to make an S-cone and an L-cone? So keep that in mind. It's important we will study all these three levels of regulation here okay so how we will do that in the lab how we will study these three levels of regulation So to do that, we will do that on 55 species of bats, that span the variation in terms of environment and the variation in terms of the diet that we can find in these bats. And we did that in field species, so in species that we caught in the wild, but also using museum specimens uh, for the protein at least. And I will uh, talk a little bit more about that in a minute. And so uh, let's start with the protein first. How do we uh, study uh, the protein? So to do that, we take the whole eye of uh, the field um, uh, species or the museum species and we carefully dissect this eye to have access to the retina. So remember, the retina is at the very back of the eye. So we open the eyes and we have access to this tissue, the retina in the back, where we can find the photoreceptors, where we can find the cones and so the opsins. And on this retina, we then use an antibody that will recognize specifically either the L uh, obscene or the S opsins And just by putting this antibody on the retina, we're able to see if we have or not the S cone and the L cone, how? Could the antibody will recognize specifically the opsins, and when you have a lot of obscene in a cone, you will have a dot here that you see in green for here the L cones. And so just by doing that, we're able to see the presence absence of the cones in these bats. And we have done that on field species, so in species we caught in the wires so of this dissection, but also, which is kind of pretty cool, on museum specimens. Uh, And some of them are really, really old, like a hundred years old, all over the nest, which is super interesting because it just shows us that we don't necessarily need to go in the field and catch species where they are and, you know, use wild animals to do this kind of study, but we can also use museum specimens, uh, which just show us how important museums are and and what resources we can get uh, from these museums. So this is what we do for the protein detection. How do we detect the RNA, the mRNA, so the expression of uh, the opsin gene? So to do that, we take the whole eye of a bat and we sequence all the mRNA coming out of these eyes. And uh, we were looking for the presence of the l and the s opsins in this subset of mRNA that we have in the eyes. And finally, we uh, look at the presence absence of the uh, s of the l gene gene, uh, by uh, PCR and sequencing in the genome because for a lot of these bats, of course, this is a non-model species. So we don't have the genome. We have the genome of only a few of them and we probably have more genome in the future. But right now, we just can't just go in the database and look for a gene on the genome because it's just not there. All right, so we have the setup to study protein, mRNA, and uh, DNA. So what are the results? What do bats see? So let's start with the protein first. What can uh, these flower-shaped retina, what is the, the study of the protein can tell us about that vision? It can tell us a lot more than just the presence-absence, actually. So we have this flower-shaped retina here. You have an example of an insect species and we were looking for the presence of the L cones and the S cones. As you can see for this species, we have the presence of the L cones and the S cones. We can see the dots for both things. But it's not the only thing we can see. By looking at that, you can also see that we can assess the density of the cone that we have. Just by counting the number of dots that we have by square millimeter, we can see if a bat would have more cones than another one, or if we have more L cones than S cones. Edit is very important for bad vision. Just again, think about your camera. You have a number of pixels, the more pixels you have and the best your resolution of the camera would be. It doesn't translate exactly like this for vision, of course. It's more complicated than that. But just keep in mind that changing the density of cones would have kind of the same uh, idea the pixel of your camera. The vision would be different. The things you, you would be able to see will be different in your brain. And so just by assessing the, 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 assessing the difference in terms of cone density between bats will help us to understand better, uh, to see if bats have a different vision. So let's do that of a lot of different bats. So here you have a subset of what we have been doing in many bats that have different diets and uh, that live in different environments as well. And here the diet is indicated with the little uh, insect or the flower or the food, etc. So the first thing we realized is that we were able to detect S-cones and L-cones in many species of bats with different diets. So that's interesting. But then we realized that we don't detect S-cones everywhere. Some species have lost S-coned and so have lost UV vision. So here we have some species that have the two color visions, so that are able to discriminate colors, and some species that have only L cones, so they are only able to see one color, on, so that probably see kind of in black and white. So we have these two first different types of bats, which is interesting, they don't all see the same thing. The other thing we can see is that the density of cone varies a lot between species. We have some species here that have very dark retina in the little cartoon that I have here that have a high density of cone, whereas others like, for example, uh, Carolia sowely here have less L cones and even less S cones. Showing that the vision capabilities between bats are different, And this is probably because these bats don't need to have the same um, vision capabilities to be able to forage or sense food, et cetera, et cetera. So we have this use variation between bats. It's not fixed. All the bats seems to be different things. And we also have less S-cones than L-cones when we have both which is again interesting because the only pigment that we lose is the S obscene. So we lose the S cones in some bats and when we have both, we also have less S cones, meaning that maybe it's not that important, but it's just something that is gained or retained in the bats that need to have discrimination of color and to see UV vision. Okay, so we lose the S cone in some bats. And what is the mechanisms behind the loss of the S obscene genes? So to do that, we will look at the conservation of the DNA, the mRNA, and the protein—the three levels I talked about before—just to see if we can give us if it, it can give us some insights about uh, how do we lose um, a trait and these genes uh, in bats. So first, as I say, the L-opsin genes and the L-cones are present in all bats, seems to be there in all bats. And this is exactly what we see here. We can find in all the bats that we study here. It's a subset of the uh, 55 species of bats we study follow clarity. And then you can see is we indeed have a conservation of the DNA. Uh, we have a conservation of the mRNA expression and uh, the protein. They are present everywhere in the green uh, codes in the l opsin gene, which is what we expect. Now, when we look at the s opsins the picture seems to be completely different. We have a loss of the s genes, but a different level of regulation. So if we look, for example, at these species, we have what we would expect when we first think about it. We have lost the s genes. We don't have an expression, of course, in the mRNA, and we don't have a, an expression of the protein either. We have a complete loss of the s genes in these species. Now, if we look at another species, the picture seems to be different. We can still find the S gene in the genome, but we don't have the expression of the mRNA. And of, of course, we don't have the expression of the protein. So for this species, we still have the gene in the genome, but we have lost the other level of regulation here. And we have another case when we can find the gene in the genome and the mRNA is expressed, but we can never find a protein. So here we have lost this S opsin at another level of regulation. We have the DNA, we can find the mRNA, but we will never have a proteinic ex- expression of the gene. And this is really important because just by looking at these three levels of regulation, we're kind of catching evolution in action. We can see that uh, we d- when we lose a trait here, when we lose the s we don't necessarily lose everything at the same time and everything from scratch. We don't necessarily lose the gene, the mRNA, and the protein. We have different steps where we can lose different levels of regulation. Now, as I said, we are trying to relate these losses to uh, the adaptation to environment and food. What's going on? By just looking at these different um, uh, species here, can we find a link between the loss of the S obscene and the adaptation to different environment and food? So to do that, we we did like a test to see if we can um, link the diet or the roosting capabilities, the environment, to um, retaining S-cones or loss. So let me walk through this figure here. Here, so we have this different condition. If we're on the zero line, it means that we have no association with retaining S-cones in uh, this condition. So for example, for cave roosting here in blue, we are on the zero line here, meaning that we have no association between retaining S-cones and roosting in a cave. On the other hand, if you look at the green and the pink violin plots here, we're above the lane, we're 5 here, meaning that we have an association between eating fruit or visit, visiting plants and uh, retaining S-codes. So it means that here we have identified clearly that if you eat fruit or if you visit a plant, you are more likely to retain S-codes. So it seems that vision and the type of things that bats see is related to diet. It's not absolute. You remember I showed you also some uh, a species that eat insects and have S-cones, so it means that we might have other factors, but we don't have enough species here to identify that, and it also means that we need to do more studies to do that. Okay, so we have investigated a lot of things. How, what to conclude about bat vision and evolution in general? What we can get from these results? Well, first, this result as I say tell us about a lot about bat vision because with this we have identified two main types of color vision in bats one type of color vision that only have l cones and so these bats see probably in black and white during the day and we have one type of vision with two types of cones, S cones and L cones. These bats seem to be able to discriminate colors, but it's not absolute. We might have different factors, but they might be able to discriminate color, maybe to find food, maybe because uh, it helps us to see the food better. The fruit, for example, on the foliage, et cetera. So we have these two different types uh, that seems to be very important and linked to diet. But as I said, it's not uh, absolute. We also have insect bats that are able to see UV. So how can we explain that? Let me bring you back into the field uh, because just by looking at bats in their environment can help us to understand that. Here this is a video of bats that are flying at night. So if you just look at this video, you can see that bats are coming out of the cave. And this is very early at night. We try to set up the the traps early to catch them because uh, we really don't want to miss anything. And you can see that the light is still uh, very uh, high in the sky, the the light level is still high. Meaning that these bats fly out of the cave when it's, it's not dark out yet. So maybe they do need to see to have a better color vision because they fly during the day. Now we also have some bats that come out of the cave when it's really dark and maybe these bats don't need to see to have a good daylight color vision because the light is already very very dim when they go out. So this is something we can investigate and the only way to investigate that would be to study uh, more different species. Now a lot of bats are also endangered. Is it useful to really understand what bats can see to protect them? Actually, yes, because if you look around where you live, for example, you can see that we have a lot of light in the street at, at night, in the parks, etc. And of course, as you can imagine, you have bats everywhere in the world, so you have probably bats around. And so by understanding what they see, it can also help to protect that them to find a light that won't affect them. For example, we do think that red light won't affect bats as much as white and green light, for example. So we can think about how to change uh, the light that we have in the street or in the parks or in different areas to be better for bats and to help them, you know, to protect them, etc. So we have seen a lot of things for bats. What about evolution in general? This study also helps us to better understand trait loss. Because when we think about evolution, we always think about new things that animals gain. You know, we gain, for example, new abilities to uh, be underwater. Some species gain new abilities to fly. But we never think about how we can evolve by losing things, which is something that has been very important in evolution. When you think about it, dolphins, for example, have lost their limb, or cavefish have lost their eyes in the cave. Here, we can see that bats can evolve by losing UV vision. And it's another textbook example of how species evolve by losing something. And our studies also show us how we can better understand uh, trait loss and how to study trait loss. Because a lot of studies focus on uh, the morphology or only the DNA to assess stress loss. When we have a trait that is controlled by a gene, which is the case here for S obscenes where we tend to look only at the DNA to assess the presence absence of this trait. But what we have shown is that we can't only do that. Sometimes we have the DNA, but we don't have the protein. Sometimes we have the RNA and we don't have the protein. So our studies show that it is important to look at the whole process to really understand what's going on. And it also tells us a lot of things about possible lost and regain, et etc. Because you can imagine that if you lose only the RNA, maybe we have a possibility to regain this rate later if we need so, if we have kind of a hospital evolution when we lose over regain trait easily. So just by looking at all the process, we're also, um, uh uh, in a better shape to really understand what's going on in evolution and the possible mechanisms. And our study also shows how important it is to study a lot of different kinds of species and not only one, because if we study a subset of species, we can be like, okay, bats see in two colors, or these species have this trait loss, et cetera. And our studies show that it's way more complex and diverse than what we think it is. So to really understand how species evolve, we need to study a lot of them. Okay. So what are the main, main message of that talk? I think I said already everything, but just to sum up first, we have shown here that bad color vision is adapted to diet and other conditions. And is way more complex than we think it is, and that we really need to study all the bad to really have the big picture. We have also seen that by studying a lot of different species and this kind of trait, we can catch really evolution in action. We can see what's going on. Species have evolved but are still evolving. And especially in this world that is changing with climate change and everything, it's really important to understand how species evolve to protect them and to be able to understand what will be going on. And finally, it's really important to study biodiversity as a whole uh, because it can help us to reveal general concepts about evolution and to really understand how species live in this world and evolve, etc. For this study, I want to acknowledge a couple of people. So of course, the people of the Sears Lab I'm in, my boss Karen Sears, and all the people that participated in this work. I want to also thank the main collaborators because this work has been done in collaboration with many people uh, in, in uh, an NSF grant. And so I want to acknowledge the main collaborator on that project. And also I really want to acknowledge um, all the people in iBiology and my coaches to uh, help us to shape this talk. And thank Thank you all for your attention. Visit us at iBiology.org for more free talks from the world's leading scientists. This talk was brought to you with support from the National Science Foundation, the National Institute of General Medical Sciences, the Lasker Foundation, and the Rita Allen Foundation.